Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from EverAg Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. We're excited to have you along. If you enjoy the show, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. All right, first things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 3 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, June 21. Today, block cheddar was at $1.40 per pound, down a couple of cents from where it was a week ago at this time. Barrels are sitting at buck fifty-one, also down six cents in this instance from last week. Butter down $2.35, down a penny from a week ago. Non-fat dry milk, $1.15 per pound, down a penny from a week ago. The grain market's 180 degrees opposite. We have corn today at $6.71 per bushel, up 10% over the past week. Similarly, nearby soybeans, $15.15 per bushel, up 9%, and soybean meal, $439 per ton, up 13% on the week. Let's turn to our all-star panel. We're excited today to have Zach Bowers, who works in our producer risk management practice, Katie Burgess, who spends time working with both commercial and farm customers, and last but not least, Shelby Myers, our Grain Market Intelligence Director. Hi, guys. Hey, Phil. Hello. As is the case every week, we'll start with what's the buzz? What's making the most noise in the areas we cover? And Shelby, you are the star player today. I looked it would cost about $1,500 to $2,000 to clear Katy Perry's firework as background music for this episode. But um, we've certainly had fireworks in the grain markets. Is that the buzz in your area? We've had fireworks. We've had confetti. We've had everything you could possibly do except a rain dance. And I think that's really why you're seeing the, the grain prices jump. You know, this morning we had EPA finalize the rule for the renewable volume obligations and for those that need a refresher, that's the minimum amount that of the renewable fuel that should be blended into gasoline and made available to the consumers each year and the years ahead as authorized by the renewable fuel standard. And so that RBO target for renewable diesel on soybeans, which they listed as biomass-based diesel, it was increased in the proposed volumes that from what was presented in December, which is what a lot of the soybean growers were calling for. Uh, but only to a maximum of 2.95 billion gallons per year by 2025. That's well below the expected production capacity of nearly 6 billion gallons that's planned through the same year. So that was bearish news for soybeans, and it nearly crashed the soybean oil market. Uh, while soybean meal had a bullish bump for uh, the increase or excuse me, had a bullish bump due to less competition for the soybean crushing capacity. And on the ethanol side, that RBO did not excite any ethanol supporters as the targets were slightly decreased from the proposed numbers in December. Uh, bearish to neutral news for corn as it would bring decreased demand long term, but really not a significant change to the near term. Um, and, and when you look at the RBO from 2022 to 23, it's no change. And that keeps in line with the WASDE expectations for neutral ethanol use for the same years. So all in all, you would think that markets would be having a downward day, except for the fact that those announcements really kind of allowed the market to react and then return to trading on weather, which is why 
everybody's calling for a rain dance and tossing a little confetti and fireworks and we can really have it going on. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't rained much here in the Madison, Wisconsin area in several weeks. Uh, the northern part of Indiana and Illinois has been pretty dry. Did get a little rain over Iowa last week, but we are desperate for rain in a lot of these key growing areas, right? Absolutely. And, and not just desperate for rain, it's getting to a point where uh, if we don't see rain in the near future of any sort, it's going to be a dire situation for the plant to actually have the growth and maturity and the pollination that it needs to put ears on the cob. And that's when we start getting into discussions about major yield loss and the subsequent production loss. We're not there yet, but we are. We can see that we can see there from here, right? Well, we've seen it before, and I think that's what a lot of people are really worried about, right? We're talking about. 2012 a a lot recently and how quickly the drought turned from dire to desperate and that's when we start having these conversations once again and start seeing prices move higher and higher to seven dollar corn like we had uh, in 2012 every farmer wants to have a crop but it's even nicer to have a crop to sell at that high price and so it's starting to play this game of do we want the higher price to sell, but we have to have the crop to sell? We'd rather have the rain over here and not over there, right? That would work out just fine. All right, Zach, what about yourself? What's the buzz in your area this week? Yeah, when I'm not talking about grains, uh, we're talking about milk production. Um, and coincidentally, today, this afternoon, we did get the milk production report for the month of May coming in at 0.6% higher year over year, which which is a little bit higher than what our model suggested. But I think when you look back to what May weather offered for most of the country, especially in the West, Southwest, even the Midwest had very mild, much cooler than, than usual um, weather, which really allowed those cows to flush quite a bit longer um, than expected. And truly the buzz has been of, as of the last week, we're finally really catching some heat in those regions, finally hearing that maybe peak flush is behind us. Um, some rumors even of some smaller co-ops in the South actually looking for loads of milk, which is something that we have not heard of in a very long time. So I think that's something that we're really going to continue to keep our eyes on when we look forward to that June milk production report coming in a month from now to see if you know some of these, some of these rumors actually hold true and some of this heat across the U.S. can continue. Katie, what about you? Yeah, Zach took supply, I'll take demand. Consumer demand continues to be a key feature in a lot of conversations with commercial customers. When we take a look at some of the new data over the past week, we see grocery store sales are up about 3% year over year, but inflation is up 6%. So consumers aren't leaving with as much in their carts. When we take a look at restaurants, sales are up 8%, but inflation is up 8% too. So as we think about what consumer demand looks like for food generally and dairy products specifically, as consumers deal with inflation, they're just not able to buy as much when they're going out to eat or going to the grocery store. And so as that factors into dairy prices, commercial customers we talk to, one, they have demand uncertainty. Two, they're facing higher interest rates, so they don't necessarily want to hold as much product either. And so that's left the industry right now feeling like we just have plenty of supply out there. And I think a reason back to the top of the show, you talked about prices being down here over the past week. And, you know, those domestic demand points are certainly valid and something we talk about all the time. We still don't get the sense that exports are setting the world on fire either, are they? No, not at all. There's maybe some hope that some of these low spot cheese prices could incentivize some export sales. But here as of, you know, mid to late June, not hearing about any substantial big sales. So, 
kind of keeping our fingers crossed that maybe some of this excess cheese can uh, move offshore here shortly, but we'll have to wait and see. All right, let's get to what we like to call the center of the plate segment, where we kind of chat about one topic or uh, as is the case today, maybe a little bit of a buffet. Um, I thought it'd be fun this week to hone in on a few of the key indicators we're going to be looking at over the next two, four, six weeks. What what numbers are we dialed in on? What are we focusing on for clues about future price direction in these markets? So, Katie, we'll go right back to you. What what are some of the indicators you're looking at and and focusing in on? Yeah, taking a look at those international markets. To me, a big statistic that caught my eye this week was that GDT purchases from China were only about 5,000 metric tons. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that number. We're going to need going to need to see that value triple here in the months ahead to get back to any sort of normal buying purchases out of China. And until we get that, if China's not buying a lot of dairy products, the world is just going to feel heavy. The, the last time the number was this low was 2016, right? For a GDT? That's right. It's been a long time since China's been this quiet, but domestically, their milk production is up. And when you take a look at their economy, things still aren't great over there. And so it seems like they just haven't had to be as aggressive in their purchases. What do we look at for restaurant sales week to week? When we take a look at restaurant foot traffic, I think this is another big key indicator. Restaurant foot traffic remains down on a year-over-year basis. And I think it ties back to the inflation numbers we were talking about too, that inflation remains high. Another key indicator I watch is looking at inflation at the grocery store level. Yeah, this year it was a little bit slower than it had been, but on top of strong inflation last year, Consumers are still paying almost 20% more for groceries than they were two years ago. And so until consumers get some relief, either in the form of lower prices or higher wages, that's going to continue to be a struggle. Yeah, $20 per sack at the local uh, outlet seems to be, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking how much you can spend on so little food these days. For sure. Zach, what about you? What indicators are you focused on day to day, week to week? Yeah, as it seems, you know, supply side is really going to be needing to do the heavy lifting in here if we want to change prices. Um, again, we're going to be looking back towards milk production and what are the stats around that? You know, we got to continue to see cow slaughter running at a high pace. We've seen that cool off a little bit here in the last couple of weeks, um, although we're still running, you know, three and a half, four percent higher year over year. It's not some of the bigger numbers we saw couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think some of that can be attributed to taking a look at where uh, slaughter prices are at, right? What are, what are they getting? We've seen a dip in cattle prices here in the last couple of weeks as well, too. Might not be as quite as enticing to do some of the slaughtering as well as some heat here. You might need the extra cows to pick up on the production. Um, and, and the other indicator we're going to we're gonna need to see is that spot milk prices. They continue to run seven, eight under. And unless, you know, milk actually is tightening, we're really going to see that show up in the spot milk data, right? Um, and until we see that data start trending higher again, I think it's hard to believe that, you know, there isn't the spot milk there and the milk production is really drying up as we think. Yeah. If you look at the five-year average, by about July 1st, we should see those spot milk prices turning the discount's getting smaller. Right. And uh, if, if in three or four weeks from now, we're still looking at $7, $8 under, there's, I mean, it still says we have a problem, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely probably one of the, the leading indicators we want to see in the next two to four weeks start trending higher. Without that, it's hard to see a turnaround in these prices. Katie, I know you do a lot of work on our milk production model. Uh, I have in my head that uh, slaughter numbers, we've got to start looking at something like more than 60,000 head per week to really be in the contraction zone. It's a little early for that seasonally, but is that about right? Is that about what you're thinking? If we don't see 60 to 65,000 before too long, this herd is not shrinking? That sounds right to me. 
And when you look at where cattle prices are these days, where milk prices are, where feed prices are, you've got to think that the market conditions, the way they're stacked up today are going to start incentivizing uh, some of those cows to head towards the exits as they're worth more than beef than they are probably in the milking herd. Hey, Zach, I have a question for you on auction notices. We're keeping an eye on the slaughter data. Have you seen many of those start to come out? Yeah, we watch the auctions uh, sites pretty closely, and it's seemingly every other week there's a new dispersal up for sale. And most of them tend to be in the 1500 cow plus range at this time, which which I think is a very interesting thing to note because up until recently, it was very rare to see herds of that size coming up and coming up this often, especially out of the South Southwest. And really, when you talk to a lot of dairymen um, who are in communication pretty closely with a lot of those auction sites, it's they're too busy to even handle the smaller guys. So I think the bigger question is how many of these smaller dispersals are happening um, that we aren't even you know noticing. And what we don't know for sure is, I mean, some of these cows, you know, well, they change hands and some go to slaughter. Uh, we don't know how many of these cows are just getting absorbed into other herds, right? That's, that's I mean, the auctions are telling us something. Exactly. It'd be really cool to know, you know, where all those cows are going. Mm-hmm. All right, Shelby, do you have a favorite weather model you're looking at these days? I know like, uh, you know, we can see these markets change, you know, the European model run at 11 a.m. or something like that. And all of a sudden, woof, the markets go crazy. What are you looking at as far as key indicators over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely weather models and, and whether or not we can pick our favorite. Uh, it, I think it changes just as quickly as the weather's been changing. But the other thing I'm taking a look at is summer travel, both on the ground vehicle travel and air travel, because the gasoline and diesel going into both of those have real potential to help the demand side of the corn and soybean balance sheets. Uh, so with this price volatility, and when we look at the supply side, we've got to make sure that the demand side reacts kind of in step with that to maintain either price expectations that we have or to predict prices higher or lower. So weekly gasoline product supply is certainly something we're going to keep an eye on. Right now, we're marginally above last year in the five-year average heading into a busy season, especially coming into the 4th of July holiday too. Really want to see how the E15 blending will play a role in uh, that gasoline product supplied, as well as vehicle miles driven. We currently remain below 2019 levels, but have increased over the past year. And you got to wonder, as we're looking at consumer inflation, what consumers are buying and spending their money on and what they're not, it seems to be very much experience purchases in addition to the needs of the household. So we're not buying some of those consumable goods, but maybe they're buying experiences like going on a vacation where you're going to drive cross country, spend some time with the family. And will we see that reflected here? Uh, That's something I want to keep an eye on. And then the progression of sustainable aviation fuel. Do we put that kind of fuel in the airplanes when we're traveling you know, in the air a lot more using those feedstocks up on the demand side to go into that product. Um, Really something to keep an eye on so that our demand side of the balance sheet is reacting to all the uncertainty and fluctuation and volatility that's happening on the supply side through this growing season. What about, I mean, you know, we've all of a sudden like zoomed right in on grain supply prospects given the weather situation. But you also watch export sales pretty carefully as well, right? Because the news on the demand side hasn't really been all that great. Yeah, certainly. On the demand side, there really has not been a lot of news to grab a hold to on the old crop and say, let's run with this. The pace of exports has been slow. We've had tensions with different top export destinations for U.S. commodities. Uh, We're certainly seeing battles in the Black Sea play 
into global markets and the price changes there. And then you have Brazil, who's having a record crop year, have the need to essentially dump as much corn and soybeans out of their country as possible because they don't have the storage capacity and infrastructure, let alone the climate to hold on to the crops that are being harvested right now. So they've got to offload as much soybean product as possible, make room for the safrina crop, that second corn crop that they have, that's about 75% of their overall corn production, and get ready to offload that as quickly as possible. And so that's really pushing their prices lower uh, and making them more attractive compared to U.S. grain prices. So that's really attributing to our slow pace of exports at this moment, but we haven't had anything sparkly and shiny about our exports leading up to it by all means. We could be looking at a situation where we're taking bushels off the balance sheet on the supply side due to the weather conditions, but we might also take some bushels off the demand side too, right? Absolutely. And those are the conversations we're having right now, especially with our grain growers, is that, you know, 181.5 bushels per acre on corn trend yield was really, really high when it was proposed. And we've been saying it's really, really high when that 10-year average is more 173 bushels per acre. So this readjustment on both supply and demand will actually lead to a little bit of price forecasting and, and a little bit less volatile expectations to say when we lower both sides of the balance sheet simultaneously, that helps add predictability to price expectations to say price could remain at what it is, say around that 420 to 450 line and help us forecast expectations into fall harvest time. But for now, no one wants to talk about demand. We want to talk about the weather. But we're done talking about the weather for today. That's about it for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, Zach, Katie, and Shelby. Thanks, as always, to Paige Driscoll, our master media person, for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. I invite you to check out our new online portal at insights.ever.ag. There you can find all of our publications and all of our shows like this one. We're also celebrating June Dairy Month by offering a trial subscription to some of our publications. If you're interested, contact us at insights at ever.ag.